welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone, welcome back to This is Bipolar. If you don't know me already, I am Shaylee Hugendorn. I am a mom, a wife, a teacher. I have Bipolar 2 disorder and I love talking about it as bizarre as that sounds and I'm really really excited because I have an amazing 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 other mental health advocate that is going to share her story today and I'd love if you could just introduce yourself yeah absolutely uh, so my name is Mick B um, I am a mental health advocate on social media I mainly talk about bipolar disorder um, I'm from Texas and I have a bipolar one disorder ADHD and anxiety. I've gotten a couple of different uh, anxiety diagnoses, social, generalized. I just like to call it anxiety. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I have a bachelor's of science in public health and a minor in substance use, substance use treatment. And then I just started grad school for public health this semester for health education and promotion. Um, and I am also a, uh, I'm also the social media director for Matcha and they're yeah. a health company focused on therapy. So cool. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she is an amazing content creator on TikTok and on Instagram, and we will put all the handles in the show notes. And I suggest that you run, don't walk and follow <laughs> those because yeah, I, I mean, I've been living with my diagnosis for 12 years and I'm still learning so much from you. So thank you for your work there, but yeah, let's just dive in because I'm really want to hear more of your story. I know a little bit, so I'm really excited um, just to, to learn more more. And before we get started, I just wanted to remind everybody that sometimes the things that we're going to talk about on the podcast can be activating, whether it be in your body or in what in your thoughts. And so please, if you need to take breaks and take care of yourself. Awesome. Well, let's get started. I would love to hear when did you first start to notice maybe there was something wrong or maybe um, you're a little bit different or when did you start to kind of feel like that? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as for thinking, you know, noticing I was different, that started at a really, really young age. But um, <laughs> as for, as for uh, mood related differences, um, I really noticed um, when I was about 10 years old, about fifth grade. Um, I had a period of having, you know, suicidal ideation. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't quite understand really what was going on at the time. And, you know, I told my mom, but I don't think she quite understood. And I was 10, you know, trying to communicate that and I didn't know how. Um, and so, you know, that, that passed. Um, but as I got older, particularly once I like really hit puberty, um, so like 12 ish, um, you know, I, I noticed that I, I, I just had more intense periods of feelings. Yeah. Um, and so I, like, I really, really remember like more episodic, like long durations of times where it was, um, like different from other periods of my life in, in high school. So when I was about 14, um, I, was I, I was pretty depressed and I don't think I even understood I don't think anyone around me necessarily understood um because I was such a high achiever in school and I was in mm -hmm. marching band and choir and you know like UIL and in the United States that's it's basically the geeks you you go and like <laughs> compete for your school for like math or whatever and I did math and cool. anyways so um <laughs> uh yeah I was definitely pretty pretty depressed um and then I moved um, because I think a lot of my depression had to do with the school I was at. Okay. And so 
I moved my sophomore year. Um, and I think I was in a manic episode for the majority of that year because um, while I always, even in episodes, like try to get sleep, that, you know, I didn't understand how much sleep could really affect it. So yeah. I would go to bed at like one, two, maybe 3 a.m. And I would be like kind of tired in the morning, but I would be fine, generally speaking. Um, I just didn't need as much sleep mm. that like year. Um and so I remember being like more agitated, more irritable. Um, and I like had less, like I had less empathy, I think for the people around me. Like I still cared obviously, but yeah. uh, definitely a lot less. Like I didn't really have a whole, uh, I didn't have a very deep concept of consequences. Right. Um, like I didn't really care. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> again like I, I was still like I did my school and like I was getting all A's and I was in you know music and fine arts and stuff and so I was just I think passed off as like a moody teenager right yes oh my yeah. goodness that's so same same right and if your family doesn't know and if you're I think in our society, we equate like success and mental health if you can do things, right? Because we mm -hmm. see on TV, we see, you know, one way to look at depression or one way to mm -hmm. look at this. And I think I hate, I hate, hate, hate the word high functioning, but I know it's, I do too. It's, I know it's words that we use, but often, um, it's almost worse because I was similar to you. Um, my doctor full out said like, you, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't, ha you don't have bipolar because you have a degree. Right. And that I right, find yeah. that really, really interesting, but I'm almost like overdo it. Right. To compensate. Yes. I want to go back to just being an elementary school teacher. And if parents or, or other people are listening, I would love to hear when you were 10 obviously this is confusing and we've never been anybody else so we don't really know that this is different when it's inside yes right mm -hmm. can you explain for um our audience that doesn't really understand or wants to learn more about the difference between suicidal ideation and actually like attempting or and what that looked like at 10 I'm fascinated by that yeah yeah so um no, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because there is a definite like line, um, like you don't tell once you're crossing it, but when you look at it, there's a definite line between just ideation and really like being on the verge of attempting. Mm. Um, and so sometimes with ideation, it's just the concept of death. Like, well, I wonder how that would work. What, what if that happened? Um, or more passive stuff like, well, if a car hit me right now, okay. Or, you know, just not being as careful. Um, and it's just the concept of death. Like, well, I wonder how that would work. What, what if that happened? Um, or more passive stuff like, well, if a car hit me right now, okay. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, just not being as careful. When I was 10, the suicidal ideation I had was, you know, images in my head, sort of like a preoccupation with thinking about it at times. And um, like, I... <laughs> This is kind of funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's funny. I yeah, like took I a really you. like large bread knife, like, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I just had it in my room. Like, I wasn't. I don't think I was gonna do anything, but yeah. I wanted it in my room. I, I like cut off a sleeve of one of my long sleeve shirts and like put it in there. I know it's not funny, but um, it's just like ten year old. It's how me. we cope, right? It's how we. Yeah. Cope. <laughs> I, I hear you. I laugh, and some of my friends that don't struggle with mental illness are like uh and I'm like no but that's I have to cope or it will overwhelm me so do not worry yes okay so what did you what did you do with your sleep the sleeve yeah I just I put this I like slid the knife into the long sleeve okay and I think I just had it I don't know maybe I don't think it was under my pillow maybe under my bed and then I think I was I had it and then it, I like set it somewhere outside of my room for like a brief moment my mom and my sister found it they were like oh my gosh what is this doing here like what and I just didn't say anything because you know I had already had like a moment where I was you know really feeling being sad because of things going on in that period of life for me but also that like suicidal ideation which is scary for a 10 year old yeah a 10 year old so I like cried and was like I just like I want to die and I I don't think my mom you know my mom is a therapist but I don't think being a therapist really prepares you so much for your 10 year old telling you that they want to die um 
and she also um I mean it, it had been a few years since she had gotten her master's in counseling and they had like one semester where they went over the entire DSM so obviously not particularly helpful <laughs> and so yeah. you know she just she didn't really understand but um yeah it was it was just sort of the surrounding myself with the idea of suicide okay and then also having the visualizations um and so you know later on uh when I made my attempt which was right before I started college I like just turned 18 Mm. um it it shifted and obviously there were a few reasons um I was in a mixed episode wow at that time when that's always when suicidal ideation is like really scary um and I um, I think I had had like a fight with my best friend at the time. And then like I had, I was, you know, obviously when, like when I'm manic or having a mixed episode, I drink a lot more than I normally mm, would. Yeah. Um, and so I was like really hungover and I had that on my mind and I was in a mixed episode and the, mm. you know, the visualizations, they were just so strong. And so when it gets to that point, it is not like a willing, I really logically think that this is better. Right. If I, you know, commit suicide or if I kill myself right now, um, it's more like a, I have to go in there and try. Yeah. It's very odd and it's very scary. And I actually had a therapist tell me once that that sounded demonic. She's a Christian therapist. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I am a woman of faith, but I left the toxic part. So yikes. I, I yeah. can hear that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I was just like, okay, that's not very helpful, but thank no, you. No, anyway. it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's just like the really strong drive that pushes it from ideation to this is what I have to do right, right now. And so um, I, I, I'll get a little specific on what I did just yeah, to warn yeah. viewers, but um, I, I got into the bathtub and attempted to like drown myself. Okay. Um, and obviously that's not very effective because I was you know sober it's not like I had taken uh, pills that made me really sleepy and tried it or anything I think I wasn't really in a right state of mind yeah because of the mixed episode and and I'm sure the hangover had a lot to do with it so I was just like I just have to dunk I have to like put my head underwater and hurts like a bitch okay so um I can (laughs) yeah uh don't try that because it's not even gonna work your body is gonna jerk you up anyways Um, right Zero so, stars. Do not recommend. <laughs> no. Uh, I, you know, th- this is dark humor, but I have a friend who, you know, uh, cyclically deals with, you know, suicidal ideation, you know, a few attempts. Um, and sometimes when they enter that period, like I, I don't do the whole, oh my God, are you okay? I mean, I have called, and they're actually from Canada. I called oh. uh, cops to their house. I had to go through like the American 911 and then the emergency Canada oh, wow. and like called it yeah it was a whole thing um but you know I I don't get like oh my god is it you know I don't freak out I'm just like hey you know talk to me let's like let's figure this out or you know I totally understand that you're feeling that I, I really get it I do and it's okay that you're feeling that this will pass it always does um but sometimes I'm like look you've already tried like it's obvious that you're not very good at it so I feel like you should just give up trying yeah um as a, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, it's a, it's a dark joke, but it's, uh, yeah. yeah. And so, I feel um, like we can do it, right? Like I'm always talking about words that help and words that hurt. I feel like because we, it's almost like you're people. So you can, you can talk like that. I'm not recommending anyone that has a mental illness to talk to us or anyone else like that. But I, I feel like I've seen that meme that says, um, you're, Oh, what is it? Your trauma doesn't make you more resilient. It makes you funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. yeah, I was like, Oh, I, I, I feel that. Anyways, yes. I, I digress I, with, I'm curious about, so I want to hear more, more about that. So you in a mixed episode for those that don't understand and only from like, we can only speak to our experience, but you're like, I don't have a full grip on reality. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Did you yes. feel like that? Yeah, absolutely. So in the, the the couple of weeks leading up to that attempt when I was 18, um, it was very, it was more passive, but it, it uh, you know, increasingly became more apparent. Like I was journaling about 
you know, that I just wanted to, you know, die in, in mm-hmm. different ways. And then I was also just like, almost like fantasizing about it. Yeah. And I, this is where I, I struggle with um, understanding the less extreme or stigmatized, um, like, uh, I guess, ideas about like psychosis in mm-hmm. manic episodes and mixed okay. episodes, um, because I've never had, you know, uh, I am a, a very prominent figure, like I am the queen of this country or um, this celebrity is in love with me or it's not that those aren't like my personal experiences but in that period of time I felt a very strong disconnect with reality Mm. so I both you know wanted to die and I also had no real grasp on like the consequences causes and effects um like my attachment to where I was and it was it was very odd and I, I think that's something that I wish I knew more about regarding psychosis and like mm-hmm. what it can look like in less intense, not like intense, like it's, it sucks any less, but just um, a yeah. different present. I would like to see the different presentations um, of it because that it, I definitely felt that really strong disconnect from reality, especially mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and so that was, I, I've had several mixed episodes since then. Mm-hmm. And that one was particularly bad. The next couple of mixed episodes I had, while I did have that very strong preoccupation to harm myself mm. and you know commit suicide, um, I know um, I uh, I found ways to sort of distract myself because I've always had a for someone with bipolar disorder, <laughs> I've always had a really strong grasp on what I need to do and what needs to be done. Like I'm very logical in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I also have a lot of anxiety, right? Not as much as I used to, but, you know, being a very logical person um, and, and like, just, I know the, the way that things need to be for me um, and having so much anxiety, it kept me from doing that a lot of the time. Okay. So I would, you know, kind of sit there and be like, I, I don't want to logically kill myself. This is not yeah. something I actively, you know, it's not like yeah. that. It's more like I have to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it and does so I, It does. It's almost like, um, oh, I saw a creator that put this online. She said, when you're manic, ideas aren't ideas, they're orders. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like if it, it, yes. it, it doesn't feel like, oh, should I do this? It feels like if I, I don't think it, but it's like, if I don't do this, it feels like the end of the world. Like it, it doesn't feel like a choice. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely in mixed episodes for sure. For sure. Um, and so, you know, most of the time I'm able to sort of cope through art, whether it's like, not that I'm a great artist, um, but, uh, like, you know, drawing something that represents where I'm feeling or, yeah. you know, writing songs. Like I have quite a few songs about suicide. Um, and it's, like I, I sit there and I, I cry about it because I don't want to feel this way. I, you know, struggling really bad with it. And I never told anyone up to that point. Like, obviously I, I told my mom and a few close friends that I had attempted suicide. Yeah. Um, but when I was having strong ideation that I remember, I don't remember telling anyone. I just remember like really suffering a- alone with it. Um, and so, but I was always, yeah, I was like most of the time, obviously, except for the attempt, I was like most of the time able to push through that, you know, to push through until I called my psychiatrist and upped my meds or yeah. something like that. Um, but it was actually this last mixed episode I had um, a year ago, actually. Yeah. I, so I haven't had an episode since that, but a year ago I had a, a manic episode that turned mixed. And as soon as it became a mixed episode, the suicidal ideation it was like right on time uh and it was so much stronger than it usually is to the point where I could not I couldn't be alone Mm -hmm. I either had to be on the phone with someone or someone had to be home and my door had to be open or um yeah someone had to be with me and um it had never gotten to that like obviously except for the attempt like I'd never gotten to that kind of point especially when I like was sober (laughs) Um, and so it was, it was really, really scary. Like driving, I was like really terrified that I wouldn't be able to stop the impulse of just crashing my car. Like that's, it was very scary. Yeah. 
And so, yeah. And so um, just something, a thought that came to me when you were talking, you said you didn't tell anybody about the ideation was, so what, what was behind that? Was it like shame or worry what they think, or you're just so in it that it didn't make sense to you to talk to someone? I'm just thinking um, for people, we have a lot of people that listen, that love someone with bipolar, love someone that experiences um, suicidal ideation. And maybe what do you think they could look for? Or what do you think would be something that they could say or ask that might pull pull that out? Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it's a really hard question. Um, for me, Fair a enough. lot of the reason... Yeah, because, you know, and everyone is different, but I'm a particularly cynical person, I think, when it comes to things like that. I'm like, I don't know if anybody could have said anything to me. Like, yeah, I, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but um, I just, I struggle with opening up anyways. Okay. Um, especially when I'm, and I've gotten a lot better about it, but half the time, I don't even think about it. I'm like, wow, this really sucks. I'm very upset. Maybe I'm having a panic attack. Should I tell someone? Oh, I don't know. The thought doesn't even cross my mind. Like, really? Um, so, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's probably like a a learned behavior of emotions Mm. not really being safe and also um, not wanting to worry anybody because those are very intense feelings. And to be honest, most people are not equipped to handle it. Yeah. So they kind of make it worse. Um, And so I think that was a large part of it. And just, yeah, like trust issues and and not really knowing how to, because I don't, I don't know about you, but like for me, I can't even get the words out of my throat. Mm -hmm. Like it just won't come out, even though I'm like thinking it, like I'm trying, I'm like frozen. I can't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say, um, yeah, I mean, it's tough for me. The solution was, Hey, um, we're going to take everything. And I actually had to say this because I like to my roommates and to my friends, but I sort of collapsed on the kitchen floor like frozen couldn't speak just crying because it was so it was so strong this last mix episode and um I didn't I didn't know what to do but my roommate came into the kitchen and I was on the phone with my boyfriend at the time and I just like I couldn't I couldn't describe and because I was so scared of the external action of what I was thinking I just shut down Mm. and so but my roommate came in and they were like okay like what do we need to do um, and so uh, I, I think it kind of depends on the person, but for me, when I have those like ideations, it's a certain kind of, um, harm or attempt, okay. like a, a certain like Avenue, I guess. Yes. So for, you know, my attempt was, uh, drowning specifically this okay. last time it was, um, like again, pretty graphic, just warning, but like, you know, cutting open my wrists and it was, yeah. um, to the point where I was like, I can't have anything breakable. Like oh, <laughs> my poor yeah. family had to take everything, porcelain, glass, whatever out and into their room. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I mean, and not that I would have done it with this, but they took like my belts and my scarves. I mean, they took everything, scissors, razors, yeah. knives, like um, silverware. And, and again, dark humor, but like at the time my roommate like started going to the kitchenware and like, it was like a, a mashed potato, like, the, you know, it yeah. has like the yeah, different yeah, yeah. metal lines. And so they go and they kind of look at it and they like start like seeing if that would be something I could hurt myself with. So yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> what amazing um, <laughs> friends and roommates though. Yeah. Right? Like, yes. what, what amazing, I, I, I don't think everyone would be like that, right? Uh, wow. Right, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm really grateful for my my friends and I have two more roommates now and they are also two of my best friends and we're all friends and so uh, they're they're really great because recently I had a really bad panic attack and I actually made a funny video about this um and they were all like oh god okay and so they're yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know into action but um yeah and so you know they took all of that out of the kitchen and they even like I was sitting in my room and I saw them like walk down the hallway to their room and pass my door and they had the toaster but the thing is is that we have a Darth Vader toaster and (laughs) (laughs) they just walked down the hallway with this this Darth Vader toaster I actually started laughing I was crying obviously because it was an intense situation but I started laughing I was like oh my god and later my roommate was like yeah if you killed yourself with a Darth Vader toaster I don't think I could have respected that (laughs) as a joke but yeah 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 so yeah that's that's I think the physical actions of helping prevent is 
maybe the most helpful um, being on the phone with someone. You know, actually, um, I don't know if you've seen this. I have a, a Discord server for people with bipolar disorder. Oh, wow. Cool. And so we actually have a channel called Suicidal Ideation. And um, people can pick the role for, you know, suicidal ideation. So if somebody goes in that channel and they tag the role, then anybody who has that role can be available to talk to someone if they're feeling suicidal. Oh, wow. So where does someone find this? So um, it's, it's, it's in my bio. If you click on my link tree, it's yeah. um, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. It's Mick B's uh, discord server for bipolar bitches um, because yeah. you know, it's alliteration. And so, um, yeah, you can I'm find an elementary school and... teacher. Love alliteration. <laughs> Love it. Just say <laughs> so people can go. So yeah, we'll put um, her handle in the show notes and go. And that sounds that sounds really, really powerful. I, I know when I, I, I didn't think I had suicidal ideation until people started talking about it. And I realized like wanting to go to sleep for a very long time, but I, because mine's very cyclical and I knew in May the depression would lift. So I knew I just had to hold on, but I didn't want to be participate in life during that point of time. Yes. So I didn't consider that. And I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Passes. Yeah. Yeah, that mm -hmm. is right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And that's, there's like such a, a spectrum of yeah. most mental illnesses, if not all, but like suicidal ideation and the passive and the active and the, you know, just like wishing and I'm going to do it. And, you know, yeah. um, and so one of my friends who, you know, really struggles with suicidal ideation and has had a few attempts, um, I thought about that and I said, okay, well, what if I'm not available? We just need someone available and if we had a discord channel where you could just say hey is anyone available who yeah. you know if somebody is comfortable with that they can have the role and then yeah. there's there's always someone um because reaching out is the hardest part yeah it really is and um because there's a lot of vulnerability and you don't want to worry your friends and okay but what if my friends actually stop me so you know there's like a there's a it really wow. depends on the person. So yeah. I would say making it really easy for someone to reach out, whether it's a code word or, you know, they tell you when they're not feeling suicidal, like, Hey, these are my warning signs. This yeah. is what you can do. Um, but I yeah, love that. I love that. I have my husband knows or my friends know, um, when I'm starting to get manic because I, my code word is, I'm moving to Bowen Island. It's like this hippie island and it's like so fun and so cool. Um, and so when I, yeah, when I was really sick at the height of my hypomania, when I got diagnosed, I was like, I, my husband, bless him. He came with me, even though he knew we were not doing this, like to look at real estate or whatever. So now, because I laugh and I look back, like if I say to my friends, they're like, how are you doing? And I say, I'm moving to Bowen Island. They're like, <laughs> okay, here we go. That's, that's my code. So I love that you said that because that's easier for me to say than, Hey friends, like I'm really struggling. Or my big thing is a burden of always being like, just this idea of healing being linear that I, I just struggle to get out of my head. Cause I always am like, Oh, we're back here. Oh, mm -hmm. we're back here. They're not going to want to hear it. They heard it last year or the year before or whenever um, mm -hmm. we're, we're back here and it's not, not fixed. Right. Because just, I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but for some reason, only like two years ago, just grappling with the idea and realization, like, we think like Tylenol takes a headache away, like that our medicine medicine will cure, right? But it's an incurable illness. Yes. It is going to come back. And once I could grasp that, I had less shame or less like all like guilt or all of those things because I'm like, okay, well, I was always trying to get rid of it, but it was like, okay, I need to work with this. I need to figure out, yes. you know, things that that work. So I love that. I love, love, love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. yeah. Yeah, well, the interesting thing with the the linear, hello, linear thinking um, is that when you do step out of it, um, I, I remember reading something that um, it may not get better, but it does get easier. Yeah. And so that kind of, it's like, I want like, sometimes I'm like, okay, which one is it? Like, I kind of want to switch them. But yeah, um, while you may cycle back into those low or really high periods, 
um, the more you learn, the more you heal, the quicker you can bounce back yeah. because you have the tools and you have the experience. And so, yeah, you may be like back there, but you know more and you can handle it better. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that's like a duck, right? Always stuck. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. so interesting. Can you tell me, I know you're, we were talking about a lot of things and you said up in your medicine or whatever, but can you walk me through um, one of the biggest questions we get is like, what led up to the diagnosis and how did you get diagnosed? Or sometimes a lot of us got diagnosed with something else and then it changed. Can you talk us through, um, yeah, leading up to your diagnosis or diagnoses? Um, because I know you mentioned that there was, uh, I think the word, I'm trying to use it fancy, like I know what I'm talking about, but I think it's comorbidity. Is that what it comorbidity. means? Comorbidity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Could yeah. you walk us through that, that just that process? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was, uh, the second semester of my freshman year of college. And so the first semester I was still dealing with like suicidal ideation. I tried going to like a, a, a campus therapist at my okay. college. They weren't particularly helpful because I am very introspective and I know how to describe what I'm talking about and I get through things, you know, but it sucks. And so, uh, but because I sound like I know what I'm doing, like, okay, but I resolved it. They're like, okay, so I'll just be here and listen and help the process, which is not particularly helpful. Um, and so my second semester of college, um, I again was hitting, the, and I think it was a mixed episode. I don't entirely remember, but I think that's what it was because I was just hitting these like weird moments. It was so intense. And, um, you know, it, it was like a, like a baseline for the mixed episode symptoms. And then it would go like real low or real high. Um, and so in like a real low period, I called my mom because like something is wrong like I, something is wrong and I've had that feeling a few times and it's usually right before an episode um and so she said like okay well why don't you keep a journal track your moods your sleep things like that and then you can take it to a psychiatrist in a couple of months mm. and so um I I think I'd started to come out of the episode and then my dad actually passed away like the day after exams that semester oh I'm sorry and thank you um and I with stuff like that I I veer towards depressive episodes yeah um but I am one of the I'm the type of person with bipolar disorder that if something like shocks my body then I'll yeah. sw like I'll flip from depressive to manic okay. and so I, I had that experience right about that time and so I started having a manic episode like the entire summer after that and then um it was getting so like it was getting so bad I didn't want to like I just I wasn't sleeping I didn't want to sleep I was like getting really obsessed with things like um <laughs> puzzles like I just okay. I had gone to visit my grandparents and we started a puzzle and I love puzzles and so cool. I was just like I'm gonna stay up all night doing this puzzle but I had gone with my boyfriend at the time and he was like hey we gotta get to bed and I was like I guess and so otherwise I know I would have stayed up all night doing that puzzle and it would have been yeah. fantastic um but so as it started getting scarier in my head, because bipolar episodes, they get worse the older you get, mm. um, you know, even with medication and treatment, at least that's in my experience, but I've just, I've learned that about bipolar disorder for a lot of people, they just get worse. Um, mm -hmm. And so it started getting really scary in my head. I was getting really, really paranoid and um, just like so much, it was just so much in my head. And so I finally, I went to a, a campus psychiatrist um and uh, you know the month prior to that I my my brother had actually been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and okay. I think that was a, a misdiagnosis however having that diagnosis uh so close genetically um mm. that's a huge indicator and then I also talked to somebody from um high school and because I you know I saw that they they would talk about it sometimes on Twitter and I saw that and I reached out to them and I was like I like I really need to talk to you like I'm Mm. If like if you're willing, I have some questions, and and they were the first one to tell me about mixed episodes. You can't find that anywhere online. They're like mixed mm -hmm. features, or like nope. sometimes you'll have both. I have entire mixed episodes, like yeah. Um, and so I I went to psychiatrist, and very clearly manic, and you know having the diagnosis in the family. Um, she started me on antipsychotics, real low dose. She said try this for like a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Um. If it doesn't help, if you have these kind of side effects, we'll try something else. Um, and I was like, okay. And so I took it. I slept for the first time in my life mm -hmm. for like 10 straight hours. And I've never been a good sleeper, whether it's because I was manic or when I wake up in the night, my ADHD brain is like, woo, or 
going to sleep. I had so much anxiety. So it just, you know, a whole, uh, a whole storm for my sleep. And so I, I slept for one and uh, two, I felt so much calmer the next day. Now, obviously it didn't like immediately get rid of the manic episode. I had to up my dose yeah. um, and then it got better. And then I had like started a depressive episode. Just, it, it came out of nowhere. Um, just like, you know, the, it, it wasn't so much like sad depressive episode as it was nothing matters. I have no energy, mm, very monotonous. Yes, yes. And so up to dosage again, but that's, um, that's what led to the diagnosis. So after those two weeks of um, taking Seroquel, she said, okay, yeah, so um, we'll just continue this on, continue you on this. Um, and I asked, I was like, okay, great. So what does this mean? Do I have bipolar disorder? Like, because yeah. she didn't really give me any other help. Right. She's like, are you in therapy? It's like, I, okay. Th- th- I mean, no, I don't know if I was at the time or not, but I think I expressed the desire to go back to therapy. Yeah. Um, and so she's like, okay, good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> for nothing and so um but she was like yeah so this would be a bipolar disorder it was like okay so like one or two I would like an answer please yeah yeah Um, yeah and so I was expecting bipolar too because there is a a big I mean I would say like stigma around mania and hypomania and how like if you're not hospitalized or spending thousands and thousands of dollars you're not manic it's hypomania and there's like you know the I've talked about this before, but there's, you know, some disagreements between providers and individuals with what constitutes mania, what constitutes hypomania. Yeah. Um, and at the time I didn't feel mine was particularly extreme. Now I did, I did. I'm just like, yes, that was, that was mania. Um, but because of my comorbidity with anxiety, I think mm-hmm. it kept me doing a lot of things that I might have done otherwise. Yes. Um, and which it didn't cover everything, but I think like larger consequences, I think it helped me with a bit. Um, and so I was thinking bipolar too. And she said, well, how long have you been having this episode? It was, it was approaching a week. Um, obviously I had them for much longer before, but I didn't yeah. like realize. And she's like, okay, so I would say bipolar one. And it kind of surprised me. Um, but I, I've noticed with other like health professionals, like it really just depends on the professional. I had one tell me that because I'd never been hospitalized, it was hypomania. I was like, ma'am, I have these symptoms for months. (laughs) Like, well, and don't you think like, I I try to explain it like baseline, right? So what it depends on the person's baseline, if that is out of character behavior. Yeah. Whereas Mm -hmm. we only on TV, like buying boats and things like that. And this happens. I mean, when I ask the questions on Instagram, I am fascinated by the answer of like, what, um, during a hypomanic episode did this or this. And I, I, apparently it's hypomania, right? I I feel like it was extreme for me, but it didn't put like, I couldn't not pay my mortgage or I didn't not finish my degree, but I would go out and have this idea and spend, you know, a couple hundred dollars on it. But that was out of character for me because we didn't have that money or, you know, I'm talking fast and having really good ideas, but I'm also finishing it. Whereas it seems like that, you know, a lot of what I was reading 12 years ago is like, you never finish things. Right. So I think it depends on a baseline. So it's really important to kind of consider, consider that when you're, when you're telling a a professional, if you can, and hopefully they consider that too, and try and figure out your baseline. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Ideally. Yeah, yeah. You have a bipolar one diagnosis. So then Mm -hmm. tell me about how the other ones happen. And I'm fascinated because I'm so curious about because the symptoms overlap, like, and um, I have uh, one of my children has been diagnosed with ADHD. And I'm curious, like, I don't know if I have it, because I'm like, well, these overlap, but is it because they usually only overlap when I have hypomania and I'm really fascinated how people get like having more than one diagnosis. So if you could shed some light on that, I would be so grateful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is where that, that functioning label kind of comes in because, um, I had anxiety propelling me to do things, um, the way I thought that they, that I was supposed to do them. I wanted to do things Mm -hmm. right because I was so terrified of not um, being perfect or, um, being rejected or abandoned, whatever that meant. So in school, that is why I did everything like as soon as I could. And I tried to, even though I I did struggle 
like looking back, I did struggle with like executive dysfunction sitting there trying to do it and I just couldn't. Um, And also like as a kid, I would get in trouble for not paying attention or, um, you know, talking out of turn and like, Mm -hmm. like (laughs) in like elementary school, uh, actually just, I would start humming or singing. I didn't even realize it. And everybody's like, Kayla, like stop. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so, um, but those symptoms weren't as prevalent. and, And that's because with um, any diagnosis, the presence of trauma or stress exacerbates those symptoms. Right. And so as I started treating my bipolar disorder, I got more stable with that. I mean, I still, I, I still rapid cycled until like last year, but, um, you know, having that start to get under control, then I was recognizing other symptoms and I always knew I had anxiety, um, but it was always pretty bad. Um, I just didn't realize how bad. And mm-hmm. so as that happened, I was also in uh, a very stressful relationship. And so I started working on treating my anxiety because not only did I have so much anxiety that I would dissociate, I felt like I was dissociating all of the time. Yeah. I felt like I couldn't ever pay attention, really. I was forgetting things way more. And I was like, well, this must be dissociation. And so it, it was in some ways. In other ways, it was not. Um, so I started getting on medication for anxiety. Um, and I was in therapy and really started to work on that as well. And, um, you know, looking into what caused it, which a lot of it was grief, um, and fear of abandonment. And so, um, that was actually like the, the, like probably the best therapist to this date, because he told me like, well, if, if you're having anxiety, it probably means you need to grieve something and you have to allow yourself to do that. That helped tremendously. Yes. Wow. And so, um, I started treating it and I like it was still like, you know, I was still experiencing like that feeling of I couldn't pay attention. I wasn't really remembering things that well. And I started to not be able to get things done as well as I used to. Okay. And so I realized part of that was because my anxiety was always like, you gotta get this done, you gotta get this done, like you gotta do it. And so living like that and then having an undiagnosed uh mental illness, I hate calling it a mental illness because my brain is just different. It's not built for this world, but ADHD, um, it burns you out, especially if you go through a traumatic relationship, which I had. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, that trauma really exacerbated my systems, sorry, symptoms so much that, um, I hit a depressive episode and a lot of it was coupled with executive dysfunction from ADHD. And so with ADHD, a lot of us get diagnosed with anxiety or depression first, because okay. ADHD causes it because you have anxiety because you can't get things done. And then you feel shitty about yourself. Yeah. You have like low self-esteem because you're like, I can't do anything. And you get depressed. And so it doesn't even have to go on for long periods of time. Because even still to this day, if I have a non-productive day and I feel behind, I start to get to that point. And it's not a depressive episode, but it, it feels similar. So, But I had both of them at the same time. Wow. And so... Yeah, as that relationship ended and I was, you know, healing from it, um, you know, several months later, I had, it was, yeah, like way later in that year, I started dating someone new and they had ADHD and actually most of my friends have ADHD. Mm. Um, and I just never thought I was like, oh, but I'm, you know, I don't have ADHD because I get every, like I get school done and I have all A's and I graduated summa cum laude and yeah. I, you know, whatever, I stay on top of everything. Um, but a lot of that was anxiety. and. Um, so I just, I remember one of my friends being like, are you sure you don't have ADHD? Like, do you have ADHD? I was like, no, I mean, I'm just sort of coming out of a manic episode. So that must be why. Mm. Because of those same, like, you know, interrupting a conversation or talking really fast or getting off track. You know, the flight of ideas looks a lot like distractibility in conversation with ADHD. Right. Um, but as time went on, because my ADHD symptoms had gotten so bad because of the combination of trauma and treating my anxiety, I really started to look into it. I was like, hold on, wait. So you're telling me this isn't normal. <laughs> um, I started learning about things like stimming, which I do all of the time. Really? And um, all of the time. Oh yeah, which is part of the singing as a kid because if I'm not, I do it now to this day. If I'm not stimulated enough, I sing or um, it's usually like a phrase or like a TikTok sound or a movie quote that I just kind of say repeatedly. And yeah. so I live in a neurodivergent household full of people with ADHD and or autism. And so we all stim, which means that we share stims sometimes and we yeah. give stims to each other, wow. uh, which is kind of funny. But um, so I started to learn more about that and I sought a diagnosis. I went 
to that one psychiatrist who told me I didn't have bipolar one because I'd never been hospitalized who completely mm. triggered me I was like do you want to pay for my bills because I sure can't mm. um mm. and so she put me on Wellbutrin um because it's a non-stimulant um it, you know often used treatment for ADHD because it treats okay. anxiety and depression which it was an antidepressant and it also disrupts your sleep so you can imagine, as I had just gotten out of a, a mixed episode, I started uh, having symptoms again. And I was like, are you kidding? Um, and so I like took that. And then after a couple of days, I was like, I'm getting worse. I'm not taking this. And I'm never going back to her again. Because you don't give someone with bipolar disorder and antidepressant. which are really, really careful. Yeah, that's <laughs> what made me the worst I've ever gotten. So I'm glad mm -hmm. you said that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so uh, I tried a psychologist next because you look up, how do I, you know, seek an ADHD diagnosis? Colleges don't do it. Um, it's really hard to find it. And it's like, you have to go to psychologists, but sometimes a doctor, like a general practitioner, they can do mm. it. And psychiatrists are supposed to be able to, but that one told me she couldn't. And so I was like, okay, so I'll go to a psychologist because I didn't have a general practitioner. I just went to the campus, you know, right. health center because money. And so um, I went to this psychologist. I did all the testing and it cost money. I did have health insurance, but dang, um, I spent a lot, you know, yeah. and um, she did all the testing and she told me that she's the one who uh, diagnosed me with a uh, social anxiety disorder, Okay, which it's, it's just a uh, unspecified anxiety disorder. And then like, yeah. whatever social anxiety. Um, and so I was like, okay, that's great. But um, I forget I have a mom sometimes. So I really need a better explanation than breakthrough manic symptoms, which that's a whole other topic I could talk about because but you don't have breakthrough manic symptoms. Hmm. What you have is the start of an episode. Ah. And then if you do, you know, the things you need to do, or if the stress stops or the routine, you know, gets solidified, like your sleep, then you can, you can stop it. Like I've done that so many times. And obviously it's not like that for everyone, but hmm. um, that's, that's typically how that goes for me at least. And I wasn't manic. I had gotten out of a manic, so epic, manic episode and I had been, it had been a few months. And so I was like, okay, that's also not helpful. And so she said it, it was the combination of manic symptoms and anxiety, really bad anxiety and mm. a high IQ because she did like IQ testing and, you know, attention stuff. And during the attention stuff, I was not paying attention, but apparently I did really well. I don't know wow. how, because I, but like also, oh, you know, on, I know. And like on some of those tests, like I also hyper-focused because of the pressure. And so sometimes I can't, but at that point I did. And so she's like, well, you did really well. And so, because you, you know, whatever people with a high IQ, and it's not even that high. Okay. It's just above average, but people with a high IQ can, you know, they just have a lot going on in their brain. And I was like, I don't think people have a song playing on repeat while they're watching TV and having a conversation because at any given moment in time, I have a song stuck in my head while I'm speaking, while I'm listening, I can't do anything about it. it, whatever it is. It could be anything like that, like a stim. And so um, I was just like, wow, this is incredibly unhelpful and very triggering. <laughs> Thank you for that. And so I had sort of like given up because nobody wants to diagnose somebody with bipolar disorder with ADHD. Right. Because there, there is so much overlap, but the key distinction is what is causing those symptoms for bipolar okay. disorder it's a chemical imbalance yeah you know, it's and you know they think it's maybe a gene but there's not that much research into bipolar disorder maybe it's not profitable I don't know um, but there's not a lot of research into it so ADHD is caused by issues with dopamine production and yeah. uh, I don't want to I guess reception um, in the brain and so bipolar disorder will cause a manic episode and, or with hypomania, it's definitely difficult between hypomania and ADHD, okay. but it's what's causing it. And it's the duration. Okay. So if you have ADHD, you're going to have these sort of consistent, um, grabs for dopamine, whether that is, a you know, a impulse spending spree or impulse going somewhere or whatever that can look like hypomania, but with hypomania, it's not your normal. Um, even oh, if you okay. have a lot of episodes, you'll go through, you know, periods of time where you're not having that grab for stimulation. And so that's kind of the key indicator I've really figured out, um, oh, is the grab for dopamine and stimulation versus, uh, length of time of those symptoms. But obviously it was very difficult for me to distinguish. And so I had periods of time in my life where I thought I was getting manic, but I look back now and I think it was really just ADHD symptoms. Um, but 
I had no idea. I mean, I'd gotten tested as a kid, but they don't yeah. know. That, nobody really understood ADHD in girls, right? It's just boys. all the studies are on the dudes. Boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Anyways, I could talk about that too, but. Um... Same, same. Another, another <laughs> time. We're friends. Yes. Another time. <laughs> um, and so um, that is like, so those are like kind of the main distinctions. Um, and, you know, another interesting so, sort of comorbidity situation with overlapping symptoms with, you know, bipolar and ADHD is also borderline personality disorder and autism. The four of them, they, there's a lot of overlapping symptoms, but it's the yes, cause that distinguishes it. It is because it, so it's like duration of time, consistency okay. throughout your life. And what is the cause? So you can get brain scans for those kinds of things. Um, uh, I don't think it's, it's either ADHD or autism. I think it's ADHD. You can't quite get a brain scan for. I know autism is, a di- I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me. I'm like pretty sure that autism is a different, like your brain just looks different or like it uses different parts of the brain differently. So you do like a, like a brain scan, like, I, I don't know the technical term at this moment, but you can, you can scan your brain or like go to a neurologist and they can tell you because they're looking at the cause instead of you going to a therapist or a doctor or a psychiatrist who looks at the symptoms and then right. just tries some medications and hope yeah, some yeah, of them yeah. work. So, um, yeah, the comorbidity thing was really difficult, but, um, so at that point I'd almost given up and a friend of mine, uh, said, you know what, I have ADHD. And I think they also had bipolar two or like cyclothymia or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and they said, look, this is my, this is my doctor. She will listen to you. She will really listen. Aww. So like, you know, here, go, yeah. go to her. She was in my insurance. And so I said, okay. And a lot of people online will be like, oh, was, you just like kept looking for a diagnosis. Like, obviously, eventually you're going to find a doctor who was just going to give you what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, I was really tired of trying to sit down to do an assignment and not being able to do it to the last minute because that was so out of character for me because it had gotten so much worse. Right. Um, I was like, do you forget that people exist that you love? Do you struggle trying to pay attention to someone that you love, even if you're sort of interested in the topic and you just can't? I don't think so. So um, yeah. this is not normal. Yeah. And so I went to her and I still go to her. She's wonderful. And I sat down and I explained, I was like, look, not having a manic episode. I've been treated for, I'm like, I'm treating my anxiety. It's gotten so much better socially. It's still a struggle, but in general, it's gotten so much better. Mm. Um, these are, these are the symptoms I'm experiencing. Like I went through all of it because I really started to dive into being aware of what would be an ADHD symptom or something like bipolar disorder. And because I've spent so much time and this was last May, that was when I got my ADHD diagnosis. Okay. Um, I spent so much time identifying bipolar symptoms so I explained all this to her and she's like okay you seem like you have like a really good insight to yourself so mm-hmm. I'm going to try you on Adderall now she's like you have like immediately if you're not sleeping well if you start to have manic symptoms stop call me um because that is a big issue with bipolar disorder is you know stimulant medication can um make you have a hypomanic or manic episode yeah and so um you know, she's very careful she started me on five milligrams and then she's like if that doesn't work you can go up to 10 like, you know, I, I was doing instant release and so five milligrams did nothing. And so then I, you know, I'm doing 10 milligrams and now I take 20 in the morning and 10 in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, and so it, it does kind of crack me up because I guess with my body chemistry, it's like, I take an Adderall. If I'm already sleepy, I get sleepier because my brain shuts, you know, not shuts down, but it, it gets calmer, you yeah. know, um, it's not going at a hundred miles an hour. And that's what keeps me up. And so I've taken naps after taking Adderall or drinking coffee, like right before bed. Sometimes yeah. it just helps. And that's, it really my, kid. that's my kid. They're like, Oh, well they're teenager, but um, yeah. People are like, you're giving her Frappuccino or like coffee at 4 PM. I'm like, yeah, after school, <laughs> she's wired and then she's chill. And I think, yeah, a lot of people don't understand that there's less activity going on. And so that's why you seek out yes. right outer things. Well, you would think, I mean, I'm not a neuro, like I'm not sciencey at all, but I know that it works the opposite as it would work on someone who's neurotypical. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because when you are seeking, you know, dopamine, then your mm. brain is going, you know, haywire trying to find it, whether that's stimming or a hyperfixation or an yeah. impulse spend, whatever. Um, so when you, I call it, so I call Adderall diet mess. And then I call, um, caffeine diet Adderall. There you go. <laughs> and so, because I mean, it's kind of true. Yeah. Um, so I take Adderall and then I have like, 
I try to stop at three cups of coffee a day, but I have like up to three cups of coffee a day because yeah. it just really helps me focus. And I have not had an issue with uh, my sleep. That's um, awesome. it, I mean, it, it, I have issues with my sleep, but it wasn't because of, it didn't oh, change the Adderall. Yeah. Okay. Um, because uh, so antipsychotics make you sleep. I don't know what you take, but antipsychotics typically make you sleepy, except for um, owl, owl, something with an a, a, I don't remember what it is. Um, but I, I got put in that for a second, and it like helped with the mixed episode. But then I started losing sleep, and so it got worse. Yeah. Um, but so I got off of antipsychotics because my legs were twitching. Oh, not like shucks. it can, but it can become permanent, and that's the issue. Um, it can start as like an annoying leg twitch but it can get worse. And I, I still sometimes have like, but like, just, I'm like, what? I haven't even, whatever. And it's not like a magnesium issue. It's just, uh, anyways. And so, um, I got off of those and those were the only reasons I really slept because they drugged me so hard to sleep. Like some people on Seroquel, I mean, they'll sleep for like 12, like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like even more than 12 hours. They're so sleepy all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, I was kind of groggy, but I got my nine, 10 hours and that was the best amount of sleep for like, you know, almost two years. So when I got yeah. off of that and put on a mood stabilizer, um, over time, my sleep started to get worse because of some events that made me really anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then waking up in the middle of the night with pure panic, um, oh, my no. brain seeking dopamine, it just goes haywire and it's still like that to this day. So my, um, my psychiatrist actually put me on trazodone. Now it is, it is a antidepressant, but it makes you sleepy. Okay. And so it hasn't caused any manic symptoms in me. Okay. okay. I just sleep through the night, most of the nights um, yeah. because my sleep was getting, I mean, it was getting so, so bad. Like go to bed at, you know, nine or 10, have no problem falling asleep, wake up at, you know, first it was four and then I would try to go back to sleep at seven and then it was three and then it was one. And, you know, uh. I can't survive <laughs> I was so scared of a manic episode. I really was. And I think it was the grace of the high dose of lump McFall I was on that I didn't have one. Um, But uh, yeah, so that's why I got put on that. And so um, that is kind of how I came to have like all of these diagnoses. And then the psychiatrist I have now, like on my health insurance, it says generalized anxiety disorder, um, which diagnoses, it's a whole thing. And it's mainly for insurance, if we're going to be honest. But um, I think that it's really mainly just social anxiety. Um, I get Mm -hmm. really overwhelmed and overstimulated. Uh, And so um, I don't have as much generalized anxiety anymore because I've done a lot of grieving of, you know, Mm -hmm. feelings of abandonment and uh, loss, you know, family members or, you know, things that people don't normally think of, but like the loss of a childhood or the loss of an available parent, because it is a loss. Maybe you never had it, but it's still a loss. And so- there's so much grief that can cause, you know, lead to really bad anxiety. And so I I really worked on that a lot. And I had to work on like some attachment issues that were really causing a lot of anxiety. So I don't have, you know, much general anxiety, like almost ever, but it's socially definitely. And that's Mm -hmm. part of, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, like feeling different. Well, people with ADHD feel different. Mm -hmm. We are not the same as other people. For better or for worse, it should be neutral, but in the structure of the world we live in, it often puts us at a disadvantage because um, we talk really fast, we interrupt, not because we don't care, but because we're really excited about we ha- what we have to say, or we get distracted, or you know, we forget about our friends You know, if we're like super busy. Um, and it's like, shit, I love you so much. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I just forgot that you existed and it's not because I don't love you. Yeah. So that puts you at a disadvantage with, um, friendships for sure and romantic relationships and um mm-hmm. having friends who have ADHD it, it's really important because they understand and yeah. I didn't even quite understand my friends with ADHD um until my ADHD got so much worse because of you know the treatment of anxiety and yeah. bipolar and um all of that so now I understand I really do um yeah and wow. uh yeah so I think the the feeling of of being different um there's a a big part of that has to do with like your uh, you know they say high functioning what it really is is uh the neurotypical world's perception of available or not available acceptable behavior yeah that's it's okay you're you're behaving acceptably you do well in school um so you're probably not struggling 
you can get by in conversations where you're talking about like you're fine um you can brush your teeth in the morning and you know some people can't or you can remember to go to appointments and some people can't it just really depends on the person with ADHD but if you have the type of ADHD where you're able to you know do what's acceptable to the neurotypical world you're gonna miss they're gonna miss the diagnosis especially if you're a assigned female at birth yeah um yeah for sure and I think that it's um it's just really interesting like I tell my kids all the time just you know just or other um folks neurotypical folks that there wouldn't be amazing artists or scientists that think outside the box and why don't we appreciate the children uh, and the teenagers and the university students and others that uh, why do we label it as weird or this when I am so grateful right that there that there are people that think outside the box because I think that it would be such a detriment to society if we did not and so as an elementary school teacher I I am drawn towards the kids that might be labeled as, you know, maybe uh, disruptive or, or whatever, but I, I try my best to see and um, to look for, like, just because I don't understand how they're thinking doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong. It is easier yes. for me to do that as a substitute teacher because it's not every day and the way our system is, it's so messed up that we have that many kids because then it's hard to, you know, those kids get kind of ripped off because yes. yeah. you, you can't like teach to a big group and and anyways, that's a whole nother thing as well, my tangent. But um <laughs> Yeah, I just so appreciate how the brain works differently. And I think that that's really beautiful that you brought that up. And I think that a lot of your work and content online shows, um, you know, shows different ways to see that and appreciate um, how our brains work. I'm like, that is my biggest goal as a mental illness, mental health advocate is like, just appreciate all the brains, right? Yes, yes. All the brains. And I, I just, yeah. And I just, I just so appreciate yours. I've learned so much, so much, so much. And I'm, I'm really sad that we have to wrap up. Um, we're going to, I'll let you know online. I'm going to ask Mick a few, um, you know, extra, extra questions. So watch for that. But I would love to end with, what is something um, that you could say to someone that is struggling right now? What would you say to someone that's either, you know, in the deep depression or having a hard time with, with reality um, because they're so, so manic or maybe even struggling with the feelings of like that you mentioned about ADHD. Do you have a, I don't, I don't mean toxic positivity. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, but I mean, <laughs> what would you say to, to your people with your brain? That is a good question. Um, I would say some of the some of the top things that I, I would I usually say is grieve. Mm-hmm. You're never going to have a normal life, and that is okay. But it still feels like a loss, and that is valid. So grieve. Um, second thing, it will never. It's it, there's no cure. It's not going to go away. But you can learn what you need to accommodate yourself and live better or easier right like we said yeah. like it may not get better but it does get easier um and that healing is not linear and it's cyclical and it sucks but mm. uh the further you go on the quicker those cycles can level out or the less intense those cycles can level out and even one step further it's okay if none of that happens Yes. It is okay if you never have, you know, a, a real grip on your mental health. Mm. It is okay if you have episode after episode. Mm. There's nothing wrong with you necessarily. Um, I mean, I, with bipolar disorder, I mean, kind of, it's a chemical, you know, imbalance yeah. that really yeah. sucks, but um, you're not broken. You just have a, you have a different way of living that you have to accommodate. And it really sucks that the world isn't built for that. We do not accommodate that. And so as a result, we have to 
take the brunt of that work, yeah. um, advocate for ourselves, fight to find the right doctors and professionals and, you know, ex exclaim what our needs are and try to meet them. Yeah. And it's not fair. It really sucks, but it is going to be okay. Whatever that means. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I so appreciate um, your realness, I, especially online. And I appreciate because I'm always nervous to show um, my, you know, a darker sense of humor. And I just love that, that we could do that together. Or, you know, your reels, I just find myself like it's hard topics, but just like belly laughing, because I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, I get that. And so I just, I just wanted you to know how much you're appreciated and that your work is powerful and beautiful. And I'm so glad um, that you uh, talk about this online. And I just encourage everyone to go and follow and just know that um, I'm so appreciative that you came on the podcast and I've so enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation too. And I really appreciate you reaching out to me and having me on here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is bipolar. I can't press record stop. Oh, there we go. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This Is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon to be future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies and we'd just love for you to join us there. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. If you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is bipolar.